Today's episode of the NBA Show on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Just like basketball, the game of life is unpredictable. Talk to a State Farm agent and get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected and help you handle whatever life throws your way. Unexpected like Andrew Wiggins. We talked about him on Tuesday. It has continued since then. And we will discuss whether this is real or not. Certainly unpredictable. Get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Talk to a State Farm agent today about combining your home and auto insurance. Today's show brought to you by Google Assistant. The Google Assistant is ready to help you get more done with just your voice in the car, at home, and everywhere you take your phone. With the Assistant, you can set reminders so you don't forget important things like, Hey Google, remember that my keys are on the top shelf, and then later I can say, Hey Google, where did I leave my keys? A little help, hands-free. Just say, Hey Google, to get started. Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon, and joining me as he does every Friday from the Ringer.com is Kevin O'Connor, aka Kevin O'Bomber, aka Kevin O'Concert, aka Kevin O'Conflict, Kevin O'Climber, Kevin O'Camera, aka Kevin O'Croissant, Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin O'Shredder, Kevin Verno. That was a long one. What's going on? Carmelo (laughs) Anthony is what's going on, Kevin. I don't know if you have heard, but the long wait is over. Carmelo Anthony is going to be in an NBA uniform very soon. He is playing for the Portland Trailblazers, who signed him with the blessing of Damian Lillard, evidently. Um, When the news came down, your instant reaction was? Laughter. um, (laughs) uh, um, It was laughter, not like in in a mocking fashion. It was laughter in the sense that it's like, this is what it's come to for Portland. We talked about it recently. This is a team that has been relying on Mario Hizonia in the fourth quarter of basketball games. And the Portland Trailblazers are a team that entered the season with title hopes. And right now, in the Western Conference, they are not in the postseason. In fact, they are two and a half games back from the eighth spot. So for Portland, this is a smart, desperate decision. Like, this is what you had to do. They had to find a guy that can provide some semblance of upside at that spot. So even though Carmelo stunk the last time we saw him, and he stunk the last time we saw him, he at least is somebody that maybe, maybe things click for him now. Maybe he shoots the ball better than he did in Houston as a spot-up three-point shooter. Maybe he actually puts in some effort on the defensive end of the floor and is, is at least average on that end. But they needed somebody who can be an upgrade over Mario Hazonia and Anthony Tolliver. And that's a low, low bar. But with Melo, hopefully he buys in and we see some type of Dwight Howard come back from him. Um, but I'm not sold that it will work out, but it's worth a try for Portland. Okay, so we had this argument a year ago or a little longer than a year ago regarding the Houston Rockets. And I still think I, it was worth it for what it's worth. Yeah, I still and, think that was worth it. Well, that's unbelievable knowing the result that you still think it was worth it. But nevertheless, I hated it when they did it because that was a fantastic team that I thought made themselves worse. And it is not just the last time, Kevin. It is the last two times. He was terrible in Houston, and he wasn't any good in Oklahoma City either. 
You know, they added him to a team that had Russell Westbrook and Paul George, for God's sakes, and they weren't any good. And I, he has actively made teams worse. And a lot of that is, you know, we live in, an, in, in a world where Carmelo's offensive exploits, which he is still a good enough offensive player. Um, are, he are has sure? been a, it, it, he, he wasn't, he wasn't in Houston and Oklahoma city. He's better than Mario has owned you. Again, the bar sure. is very low yeah, here. Yeah. yeah okay. The, <laughs> the bar, the bar is very low here in terms of, can he, can he help you be better offensively? The problem is he might be a worse defender than even the worst guy that you're putting out there. <laughs> like he, I know, he, I know. He, he is slow of foot. And in this uh, day and age, he gets targeted. He might as well be running around with a with a huge red X on him. Uh, I um, want to see a Portland lineup with Dame, CJ, Simons, Mello, and Whiteside. That could be like an all time bad <laughs> defensive lineup, and still be pretty good offensively. <laughs> but they're gonna they're gonna give up a lot of points. Here's here's the problem. You know, everybody makes a hundred million contingencies on whether Carmelo Anthony can help you. And let me just, let, let me let me extrapolate this to what you were saying with Dwight Howard, right? Okay, so the reason Dwight Howard is working is because so far, and again, we'll see it play out. The reason it is working is why. He is on a good team. He is a role player for a good team. The problem here is I would have thought, and let's say, all the contingencies play out. He's willing to play a role. He's willing to come off the bench. He's willing to be this new place, uh, new uh, NBA, right? And and now he has been humbled. And so all of a sudden he knows he's not an all-star caliber player, but he's going to fit right in. Something that some stars have been able to do and extend their career and extend uh, a long time. Like and Vince some, Carter. Vince Carter. Yes. Someone like that. Yeah. J Jason Kidd. He wasn't the man for the last parts of his years, but he certainly was a key component to them winning a title uh, once upon a time. And, and there was a bunch of the guys like that. Even Shaw Marion. Shaw Marion's you know, numbers were not the same when he was playing with Dallas as when he was in his heyday with, uh, with Phoenix. Um, but we have seen guys that have been able to do it, like the aforementioned Vince Carter. We have seen Grant Hill, uh, and I know he was slowed by injuries, but he also turned into a role player. Um, and we have seen those, uh, and we're seeing it with Dwight Howard, to his credit. And then on the flip side, we have seen the Iverson situations where it can never get right, um, and that he's just not going to be comfortable not being a, a star-level player. The problem here is I think you have a lot better chance of all those contingencies being true if Carmelo Anthony were to join a really good team rather than him joining a team that is desperate and, you know, is 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 waving a flag saying we really need you. Like if we really need you then then what they're going to get is the full Carmelo. Now I say all that he didn't exactly fit into a role in Oklahoma City, and he didn't really fit into a role in with the Rockets, and those were both, you know, playoff caliber teams for sure. Um, so I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I just think that on this trip back, you know, to extend the career, there is a lesson of Dwight Howard right now. You know, Dwight Howard ain't out there taking 15, 20 shots, and Dwight Howard's just fitting in, you know, and knows kind of his place within that team. 
uh, and where he should be in the pecking order on that team, that's harder, I think, with Carmelo, especially when they got two guys there that are doing it in Portland, right? And they need a third, and this is where they went to get the third, and I don't know if that's the right thing. I see what you mean, Chris, and I'm with you. Like He does need to be that quote-unquote third guy for them, but it's not that he didn't buy into his role in Houston, and that's where some of my concern is for them. I mean, with the Houston Rockets last season, he did start taking fewer mid-range shots. Only 31% of his shot attempts came from mid-range, according to cleaningtheglass.com, whereas over half, 51% of his shots came from three. The problem is is in that spot-up shooting role, he shot the ball like garbage. He shot only 31% on 51 three-point attempts off the catch last season with Houston. In the past five years before that, he shot 40% in his years with OKC in New York. So he was a high-level catch-and-shoot three-point shooter in the past, but last season, he didn't do one of the things that was key for him, and that was shooting the ball. In addition, like he stunk on defense, like we said, and that's something he's never been good at. It's something that it's hard to believe that right now at his age, 35, that he would be suddenly be good at now. But if he's at least able to be average on defense by just putting all his energy into that and spot up shooting, maybe he can help this team that needs it. Um, but I'm, I'm after the last two years with OKC in Houston, I'm not optimistic. I'm rooting for it to work, though. Yeah, this just feels like a real Hail Mary only 12 games into the season. It is. That's what I'd it say. And, and we, you and I talked about how they could logically improve this team. They do have some pieces that they could move. And, you know, I don't know. It, is this – I get that it's a free roll and you're already 4-8, and eight, but you're 4-8. and eight. You're not 4-15, and 15, you know? Like you're you're well, yeah, you're a exactly. you're a four game win streak away from being right back in this mix, and I get that it it hasn't gone well so far, but if it does somehow make you worse, you know, then I don't know. I mean, it just feels like a hail mary it's, when it's not going to make you worse. It doesn't make you worse. I don't know. It doesn't make you worse. He's, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure. Their defense already stinks, and they're adding a bad defender. Their offense, they can score. You know they haven't they haven't done as well uh, this year, but you know you've got two guys. Um, that third guy you are adding is certainly for. I mean that's an uh, it, it, the the best way you could put it is it's an offensive addition. It is not a defensive addition by any means. He is too slow footed to guard threes, and now we're going to see you know in you know the league changed a lot. Um for Carmelo Anthony. It really did. And now he becomes a guy that is sought out. You know, it's like, and we saw guys like this where they just didn't adapt to how the league changed and became obsolete. You got to remember, it's not that long ago now. The One of the huge free agents was Greg Monroe. Think about that. And who wants, you know what I mean? Like he was unplayable. He was unplayable. Put it this way. This can't be it for Portland. We talked about this on a prior podcast. Neil O'Shea can't sit on his hands now thinking Carmelo Anthony is going to solve everything for this team. He can't think Yusuf Nurkic is going to come back and miraculously solve everything. There needs to be something else coming from this team at some point this season. If they want any shot 
of making serious noise in the postseason and having a real shot of winning the title. They need to find one other guy, whether that's Gallinari, whether that's Kevin Love, or whether that's a Blake Griffin or Aaron Gordon, whoever it is at that four position, they got to find a guy there. And maybe Melo's part of the equation in the playoffs. Maybe he's not. But I think at some point, you got to trade either Bazemore or Whiteside with future draft pick assets and add another guy and try to maximize this window that you have. There's an opportunity here with Damian Lillard playing at an MVP level right now with CJ McCollum doing what he always has and Anthony Simons ascending into like a very nice role player already and maybe something more in the future. O'Shea needs to maximize this window at some point in the season, and Mello is not enough. He's a placeholder. They need to find somebody else later at, at some point in the season. Yeah, uh, they are to what I was saying earlier. And again, not efficiency wise, but points per game wise, uh, they are giving up. I mean, they are middle of the, they're 12th, I think, in points per game in the NBA. Um, they are ninth in most points given up. So, I mean, this has been a, you know, <laughs> their defense has certainly been a lot worse than their offense has been so far this year. And you're adding Carmelo Anthony. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know if I buy it won't make them worse. All right. N- enough mellow. Enough yep. mellow. <laughs> well, hey, he, he he is a, I mean, this guy is a, was a star for a long, long time in the NBA, and it has been weird that there, I mean, there is a reason nobody has signed him. This could be it. This could be it. All right, Kevin, we'll get right back to it. Do want to remind everybody, today's show also brought to you by Luminary. Luminary is a podcast subscription service with some of the best content around. I'm excited about Luminary because it's the only place I can listen to The Ringer's new amazing podcast, Sonic Boom, How Seattle Lost Its Team, hosted by our very own Jordan Ritter-Khan. If you're a fan of sports, great investigative journalism, or both, this is definitely a podcast you can't miss. For more than four decades, the Supersonics were among the NBA's most iconic franchises. But in 2008, they packed their bags for Oklahoma City. Sonic Boom tells a story of basketball and politics politics, wealth, and power. Hear from the NBA legends, politicians, diehard fans, and business executives. Along with Sonic Boom, Luminary offers more than 40 podcasts you can't find anywhere else, including two more from The Ringer, Break Stuff, the story of Woodstock 1999, and the Rewatchables spinoff, The Rewatchables 1999. The Luminary app is free to download and gives you access to way more than just their own content. You can listen to thousands of other shows, including this one. Get your first two months of access to Luminary's premium content for free when you sign up at luminary.link slash ringernba. After that, it's only $7.99 per month. That's luminary.link slash ringernba for two months of free access. Luminary.link slash ringernba. Cancel anytime. Terms apply. All right, last night, real heroes welcome for Kristaps Porzingis in New York. <laughs> that was that was something else, man. That they was, did I not. Mean. They didn't let me down. I expected raucous booze, and my God, we got them. And over that seven three from. Honestly, from a fan point of view, inspiring to see just the entire arena rally around that. I mean, like it was all there. F- pent up frustrations from the past two plus decades 
directed at one man who, you know, <laughs> Chris Stapps wanted to leave just like a lot of Knicks fans are pissed off. Uh, so in some ways, like they, they can understand each other, um, but not last night. What was funnier than, you know, we just had, uh, you know, a week this week, the guys are over the weekend, the guys come out, uh, Mills and Perry come out and say, you know, we're not where we want to be and this is not what we expected and yada, yada, yada. And then you're watching them in a big game last night on national television that everybody's watching. And you, you suddenly realize that the, the down the stretch, the big shots are being made by Marcus Morris. And their leading shot taker is Marcus Morris. And he got it done last night. I mean, to his credit, he got it done last night. But I do think there is there is that moment where you go, I mean, when Marcus Morris is your leading scorer, how how good did you expect to be? <laughs> you know? And obviously, maybe they overshot a little bit. But 106 to 103, they end up uh, winning that game. And on the other side, you have another triple-double from Luka Doncic with 33, 10 rebounds, 11 assists, go along with three steals. I mean, the level he has been at so far this season has just been absolutely absurd. I mean, that was an awesome game, period. Yes, it was, it was, it was. a lot of fun to watch, especially that fourth quarter when it's close down the stretch. Frank Nilakina, my guy, <laughs> playing very, very good defense on Luka, had a big play fighting for a loose ball. And he hit a, a two clutch free throws. <laughs> he also Frank was, came, Frank, he also, Frank was great. <laughs> also came down and almost broke the rim. It's all on right a, on a two, big shot in crunch time. It's okay. He had a, it he had is a very, okay. I know very, a very good eighteen minutes on the court uh, for the New York Knicks. And with New York, it's probably all downhill from from here. This was their Super Bowl. They beat Kristaps Porzingis twice, which is. Honestly, kind of embarrassing for KP, uh, but what a win for the Knicks to beat the Mavericks twice. And then on the Dallas side, the Mavericks have a top offense in the league. So, and Rick Carlisle has been an awesome coach for, for many, many years. So I, I feel like it's a little bit misplaced to even say this. And yet, I feel like it's something that a lot of Mavericks fans would agree on. And that's why are the Dallas Mavericks wasting so many possessions on Chris Stapp's Porzingis post-ups? With about 90 seconds left, KP has a, a poor defensive possession where he flops against Marcus Morris, who lays the ball up easily. And then on the other end of the floor, he goes right into the post and they feed him. And he takes this weak ass little turnaround jumper. And for KP this season, he has been horrific in the post, shooting only eight of 26 on post ups, according to Synergy Sports. And yet they are feeding him a lot. And I think for Dallas, there's logic to that because we talked about this before the season. I put it in my feature on the Mavericks. The upside of this team is their ability to just destroy mismatches. When you're switching on defense against a Luka Doncic, Chris Apps, Porzingis pick and roll, there's opportunities for you to have KP on a smaller guy, a Luka on a, on a slower guy. And they, they can expose those mismatches to an extent but KP cannot yet beat those post mismatches. He can't beat anybody in the post with consistency. And I think for the Mavericks, it's at a point where I think they need to just give it up a little bit right now, especially at points in the game like last night with 90 seconds left. It's, it's as if they were trying to create a moment for Porzingis instead of doing what works. And for KP at his size at seven foot three, he is a weapon. 
from beyond the line. He is somebody you can run off screens, off of handoffs, or simply having him spot up creates a more expected points per possession for the Dallas Mavericks. I would be willing to bet the numbers would show that from second spectrum tracking data or 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 whatever teams have proprietary behind the scenes. I would be willing to bet that. And Dallas doesn't do that as much as I don't think they can Despite how potent they are, I think they can be even better on the offensive end just by tweaking their utilization of Chris Stapps. Interesting. Um, you know, like there's two guys that you really worry about, especially down the stretch. And Luca last night, I mean, I, I they could they not getting the ball in bounds to even get that last shot up to possibly tie it was a perfect ending to what was very sloppy basketball from the Mavericks down the stretch. You know, um, but you're right. That was the Super Bowl for the Knicks last night. Um, and they ended up being able to come away with the win. Let's talk about some other teams and some stuff that's gone around uh, the league since we last spoke. How how much are you believing in this Boston eight and one start? I'm buying. I'm buying that Boston is far better than we expected. Uh, I think when you when you look at this roster, Chris, before the season, you wanted to see a couple of things. You wanted oh, to see. Hey, hey, by the by the way, forgive me. They lost their first game. They are nine and one. They so they have won. They lost opening night. They have won nine straight games since then. You wanted to see Jason Tatum make progress. You wanted to see Jalen Brown make progress. You wanted to see Gordon Hayward look like Gordon Hayward. And all three of those things have happened. Obviously, Hayward's out right now with the broken hand. Um, but Tatum and Brown have been terrific. Jalen especially, um, he looks like a new and improved player, changing speeds, manipulating defenders off the dribble. And Tatum has just been sensational. He has been one of the better wing defenders in the game this season. Uh, after being pretty good last year in his second season, he's taking smarter, better shots on the court. Uh, less early mid-range, more threes, more at rim. And the results have been mixed, but it's progress. And I think with those two playing the way they have and Hayward being back to himself, on top of the fact that Kemba Walker, it's hard to assess from you know our couches and from our seats, but you can tell. You can tell. Chemistry's better on this team. And a lot of that has to do with Kemba and the enthusiasm and love that he plays the game with. And he's playing unselfish basketball. He's playing with his teammates, giving the ball up to them, letting them do what they need to do rather than pounding the air out of the ball like we saw oftentimes from Kyrie Irving. But when he needs to do that, he can. So Boston's getting everything they needed from their variables, Brown, Tatum, and Hayward. Kemba's being Kemba. And the big man position has not been nearly as bad as a lot of people would have expected. Cantor missed some time, but he's still scoring in the matchups that he needs to. Robert Williams, the time ward, has been really, really, really good for them. And Daniel Tice is probably the position that they can upgrade as that four-spacing, versatile defender, but he's been solid enough for them. So uh, this Boston team, I think they're one piece away from being a real championship contender, but they've certainly closed the gap in my eyes with both Milwaukee and Philadelphia in the Eastern Conference. How much of this is an indictment of Kyrie Irving? <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. Um, I'm serious. I think you can put last season on a lot of people. I think for one thing, you can't put it all on Kyrie. Uh, well, like here's, Boston, here's what I know. Let, 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 let me just say this though. Boston, 
Boston last year was such a unique environment. They came off, they came off a game seven, a game seven against LeBron James without Kyrie and without Hayward. And then you bring those guys back, and one of them, Hayward, stinks. And yet he's getting a lot of opportunities. And the other one, Kyrie, is just, you know, going off the rails. And it created an environment where a lot of guys weren't happy. And that goes down to some of the role players like a Terry Rozier. It goes down to these younger guys, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, who are wanting more opportunity after leading their team to a game seven. So some of that's on Kyrie. Some of that's on Brad Stevens, in my opinion, for feeding the ball too much to Hayward too soon. And some of that's just out of everybody's control. It just was what it was last year for that team. And a lot of that's on Kyrie, but not all of it. Well, I know Boston's a lot better and Brooklyn's a lot worse. That's what I know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I know it's you're right. And with with Kyrie, there's there's also a a pretty good clip I saw tweeted out of him pushing one of his teammates pretty aggressively (laughs) (laughs) into position, into position on the court during live game action. All right. So you you believe in what's happened with Boston and you do think that they are now more like the elite of the Eastern Conference than they are middle of the pack Eastern Conference. I do need to make undoubtedly. Yeah. I need to make an apology for one of our early, early season overreactions. Um, one of mine was about a team that has been on a win streak as of late, which it was in 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 retrospect an overreaction. The Pacers have been playing really well, Kev. And is it now they have played bad teams, but they have blitzed some of these bad teams and the Sabonis numbers are just getting crazy. You know, these, this is a team that's never on national TV, got a soft spot for them. Uh, Sabonis is averaging 20 points and 13 rebounds a game. He is also averaging four assists. And of those 13 rebounds, four offensive rebounds a game, which is a huge number um, that you don't see a lot. Um, He has been absolutely unbelievable. All-star quality player, the Brogdon signing has worked out famously. And then these other two that they had signed, you know, Lamb has finally been able to play and he's come along. They have lost Miles Turner and he's been unavailable. But TJ Warren has turned up and is now a lot closer to the TJ Warren playing best defense of his life, too, for what it's worth. A guy who has never played defense until this season is playing really pretty well. It's impressive. And he's a really good and he's a you know, he's a really good scorer. He's a good bucket getter. And so I thought that, you know, their depth was really going to hurt them. Their depth obviously got hit by Turner being out. But you look at what Sabonis has done over the course of the last. I mean, geez, this run that he is on. Listen to these numbers. Um, 18 and 17, 13 and 17, 17 and 14, 21 and 16, 18 and 16. I mean, what the hell? He's getting like he is he's grabbing uh you know 17 17 16 16 boards all while scoring still and and he's also dishing it out the other numbers on that by the way uh four assists seven assists six assists seven assists two assists I mean this is like Jokic stuff that Sabonis is pulling off with even better rebounding numbers cuz the assists are high too I mean it's almost as if and and clearly they don't have Turner. Um, and you have said, hey, maybe maybe them together is not the best fit. 
Well, now we're seeing Sabonis without Turner, and it is ungodly so far. <laughs> you know? uh, it, it'll be interesting once Turner returns um, to see how those guys coexist. But to, to be fair, though, it's not like Sabonis was putting up trash numbers when when Turner was on no, the court. No, 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 no. It's like he was still putting up really, really good numbers early in the season before Turner was out. Uh, I, I think Sabonis... It's just more like these guys are falling into a placement in their role, which is allowing the whole team to get into their rightful roles when, when they don't have to share the floor as often as they were. Um, so I think it's more of a team-wide thing that's helping more so than just those guys hurting each other. Like Sabonis is still a good player with with or without Turner. Uh, I, I think with this team, you know, you and I, have talked about this before, Chris, with Malcolm Brogdon being a major loss for Milwaukee. But as the season progresses and as Malcolm Brogdon continues to rack up very, very efficient playmaking games, low turnovers, high assist numbers, and but also being a guy who can be relied on as a scorer. This season, he's shooting 14 of 23 out of isolations. He's the same pick and roll wizard that he's been in the past. So in addition to be, be playmaking, Brogdon is scoring more with the ball in his hands without having somebody else create for him. And he's doing it with pretty good efficiency. And I'm buying Brogdon. I'm buying Sabonis. And it's just going to be interesting to see how this team evolves when Turner returns. But maybe it even makes them better. Well, and it also sets up, we are recording this on Friday. It sets up something to really pay attention to tonight. I will be very fascinated to see how they play against Houston because while oh, yeah, that's a good I, I don't matchup. know I don't know if it's a mirage this four game win streak that you know they've been playing Oklahoma City and Orlando and Washington which are games that you know you could absolutely see them winning now they play against a team that is 8 and 2 in their last 10 is on a five game winning streak and they're playing against uh, you know a guy in Harden who is putting up historic numbers through the oh, first geez. 11 games of the season yeah. you're right it's so now unbelievable so they might get buried tonight, and then it's like, oh, well, that was just a good four-game win streak against rat teams. I don't know. Yeah, but regardless of what happens tonight, yes. it's one game out of 82. I understand, but it is a much greater level of competition to judge them. Uh, you know, Are they more the team that can go in and play a tough game against Houston, or are they a team that beats up on teams like the Wizards? Absolutely, no doubt. And, and by the way, with, with Houston – what Harden's doing right now, man. Whew. I know I know you don't like to watch his game. I know a lot of people don't like to watch his game, but this guy's just crazy, man. 38.2 points right now when he's only shooting 31.8% from three. If he were shooting the same percentage he did last season in Houston, 36%, 36.8%, he'd be averaging over 41 points per game. And I don't think it's inconceivable that at some point, he he regresses to the mean here and has a ridiculously hot shooting stretch like he did on Wednesday in his 47-point game against the LA Clippers when he shot 7 of 13 from 3. I mean, this this guy just continues to get better every single season, adding more and more to his game. So it's like, like it or not, how it looks and how he plays within that system, there's no doubt this guy is getting better every single year and right now we're seeing some of the best basketball we've ever seen from James Harden and some of the best offensive basketball we've seen from any player ever it came in a loss last night but we saw the return of Paul George 24 minutes 
33 points, nine rebounds, four assists. I mean, that's not exactly easing back into it, is it? No, not at all. Very impressive. It looked like he he did not lose anything. Looks looks like this. I mean, just one game, but the shoulder did not affect the shot. Three of five from three, 10 of 10 from the free throw line, hit a handful of other shots from mid range. He looked like Paul George and he did it all in 24 minutes, like you said. Okay, so at least we are now through 10 to 12 games of the season, dependent upon how many your team has played. The Lakers, whose schedule has been easier, but they have started off nine and two. The Clippers have started off seven and five. Um, And the Clippers, as we know, were prohibitive favorites going into the season. And there was this whole like going to take L.A. back. Do you you are my boots on the ground. In Los Angeles, do you feel like the Clippers have made any traction in terms of interest around that city? Uh, I mean, it's it's a Lakers town, and it, okay. and it always there will is, be. Okay. I mean, I, I think that that was apparent on opening night of the season where the Clippers had a, a quote-unquote home game, um, but it, it sure felt more like a Lakers home game. Uh, that's that's not going to change, but uh, I do think you know walking around the city, uh, you do see a handful more Clippers shirts and Clippers jerseys and Clippers hats. <laughs> yeah, I mean you do see more, and I, I think there's more interest in the Clippers. Uh, but but it's a Lakers town, and I, that's okay. It, that's okay. What what that's okay. What matters is the product on the court, and and the Clippers are right there with the Lakers as being a Finals contenders in the West. And regardless of who has more fans. Uh, that's ultimately what matters most. Well, I will tell you this years ago when I was, I was in Los Angeles and I was wearing a grizzly shirt around uh, the day of a game. Everybody that came up to me or mentioned the shirt I was wearing was like, Hey, hope y'all win tonight. Hope y'all get a win. And I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) It was, it was the weirdest thing. I have never been in an opposing city where people like randomly would come up to me saying they hoped the Grizzlies were going to win the game that they were in the city. Like, so even late Laker fans didn't like the Clippers, right? It I, was mean, like, I mean, I had a, weird. I had like an Uber driver who was listening to the Clippers game on the radio uh, after he picked me up one time. And I asked him, I was like, Hey man, are, are you a Clippers fan? He's like, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was like, you're a Lakers fan. He's like, of course. <laughs> oh, that's hysterical. <laughs> so yeah, uh, so, similar, similar response. And you do get that a handful of times uh, where people are like, of course, I'm not a Clippers fan. I'm a Lakers fan. <laughs> Well, I, and I, I, I hope I hope our old producer Isaac Lee is not listening to this right now. But well, and it's it's, it's weird because I think we probably expected, even with schedule, that the the Clippers would be the one there towards the top. But there they are. You look at the top of the standings, and it's the Los Angeles Lakers. And then you look down to they, right now, at least as of today, in seventh place in the Western Conference is the Clippers. Bo- Bobby, I have a question for you. Uh, is it like this at all in New York with either the Yankees and Mets or Jets and Giants? You're really hitting close to home there. Yeah, it's like this with the Yankees and Mets. I feel a camaraderie, a certain camaraderie with the Clippers fans. Isaac and I have bonded over that in terms of, because I'm a big <laughs> Mets fan, in terms of the way that it's not actually like a little brother, big brother situation, but the Yankees and the Lakers fans think that it is. It's more of just like a... <laughs> 
familial passed down thing, at least. Nah, I mean, I don't want to speak for Isaac, but hold on now. It is a big brother, little brother thing in New York. Come on, Bobby. They've they've won 27 titles. <laughs> They're not even in the same <laughs> I mean, league, though. I understand, but I mean, walk down. You were just in Times Square, Kev. Walk down the street and you walk into one of those stores. There's 600,000 Yankee things and two Mets things. You're right about that. (laughs) In New York, I do think it is a little more geographical, borough wise, which I think is maybe underrated. I don't. I can't speak to the 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 Los Angeles aspect of that, though. I don't know if it's geographical between Lakers and Clippers. It just feels more like generational between Lakers and Clippers. Yeah, it's like well, the Clippers were you know the people. I I actually felt I liked the Clipper scene when I was there because it felt a lot more uh, blue collar. Right, like it didn't feel it. It didn't feel like everybody had plastic surgery and was dressed up for the game. Oh, that's oh that comment is felt, sure to go over well, Verno. Yeah, I know. <laughs> sorry, Come on, Chris. That's true. Felt, felt, felt like home in Memphis. It did. Felt, it felt like, like it, it, felt, it felt like more real people were in the stands <laughs> than on. everybody was. Everybody Jeez. was just oh god. Half they're, the time at those, at those Chris, Laker games, they Chris, go to Lakers. They go Chris, to Lakers games so they can take the Instagram. people everywhere, Chris. Oh, shut up. They go to Lakers games so they can get the Instagram photo. Yeah. Yeah, there are. There, yep, you're right. There are people to do that. Yes. I felt like are. the Clippers well, as, fans as were if, there for the back. As if in every game. other city, there's nobody taking selfies I didn't or having say taken that. photos of them off the, on the court. Right. I didn't say that. I said 90% of them are there for the Instagram photo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. And then there are the basketball fans. Right. As you might, as you might say, Chris. Good grief. Good grief indeed. Go check it out. It's a different crowd, right? Um, and probably that has to do with the price. It's expensive as hell to go to Laker games. <laughs> that is for certain. All right, Kev, we'll get right back to it. First, want to remind everybody, today's show brought to you by Stant Socks. Do you remember when socks used to be one of the worst things you can get at Christmas? Well, times have changed because Stance has completely changed the reputation of socks. Stance's socks designs are incredible, they're insanely comfortable, and their durability is unmatched. From casual styles like no-shows and crews to their performance athletic product, there's something for everyone. And Stance collaborates with all kinds of great brands, artists, athletes, and cultural icons. Star Wars, Disney, Harley-Davidson, all the sports leagues, NFL, NBA, MLB, The Grinch, Elf, Donovan Mitchell. Buy Stance Socks by the pair or sign up for a subscription that's based on your preferences and customized timeline. I can't think of a better gift to give this holiday than Stance Socks. And the Ringer NBA Show listeners can get a free pair on their next order. All you have to do is go to stance.com NBA. Take the guesswork out of holiday shopping. Stance makes gifting easy and everyone will be happy. Stance.com slash NBA for all your holiday needs and free socks with purchase. Today's show also brought to you by Mountain Dew. This NBA season, Mountain Dew is all about the threes. The shot that is changing the game. The shot that we will see if Carmelo Anthony can bury in Portland. Because as Kevin mentioned earlier, it did not go so well in Oklahoma City or Houston. Brought to you by Mountain Dew, the official beverage of the NBA. Do the do.
We've talked about some of the teams uh, that have been very hot so far. Um, in terms of teams that are on losing streaks, we covered the San Antonio Spurs in our last podcast. There is no particular reason to talk about the Golden State Warriors and what they have been through so far. <laughs> um the other one is the Detroit Pistons, who have lost three in a row, as well as the Brooklyn Nets. None of those teams, like, so there's nothing that has happened uh, since we last spoke um, in terms of hot teams and cold teams that stands out all that dramatically, except for, to me, Indiana and kind of the streak they've been on. And now we get to see when they're playing against Houston, uh, you know, what kind of what tier we should put them in because once you get past Indiana in the East, uh, Kevin, everybody else has a losing record by there are at least three games under 500. I think, I think you're missing one though. Okay. Uh, I think Philadelphia, they, they just inched by Cleveland on Tuesday night, 98, 97, a game that they should have won handedly. And then on Wednesday, granted Joel and B didn't play. They lost by 15 to the Orlando magic. Philadelphia this year. I mean, they're seven and four. They're not bad. I talked about this on with Bill Simmons on his pod this week. I don't feel like they are nearly as great as I thought they would be. Uh, entering the season, I picked them to win the Eastern Conference and represent the East in the finals. Uh, they uh, they do not strike me as that team. I think right now, Milwaukee is a better team. I think Boston and Miami are right there. And oh, by the way. Toronto with Pascal Siakam continuing to put up MVP numbers may very well be just on the same exact level as Philadelphia. I think Milwaukee's the favorite now. And then you have a group of four, Boston, Miami, Toronto, Philadelphia. And I, I think the Philadelphia 76ers can be better and should be better. And they're just not for like a long list of reasons. Right well, now. Jo Josh Richardson was always the favorite of people that watched him play two games a year. Um, and <laughs> they replaced him and, and he sh he's shooting 28% from three and their other wing, Tobias Harris is shooting 20% from three, you know, especially in this day and age, that is not going to get it done. Yeah. And with Tobias Harris, there's been times this season where he's just flat out passing up open shots. It's been really weird to watch. Uh, with this team too. Oh, did I, you were you watching the end of the Cleveland game? Um, I actually watched that game the other night, and they threw it to him at the top of the key. There was nobody within thirty feet of him, yeah, and that, he drove he drove in and got a charge. And uh, I was actually watching with my son. I said, "What the hell is he doing? Like, <laughs> there was nobody. He could have dribbled in five feet, ten feet, fifteen feet." And he would have found nobody. Instead, he drove all the way down and then just rammed over a guy. And I'm like, what is going on with this dude? It's yeah. Bizarre. And I think some of this has to do with guys just aren't shooting well. Uh, some of it has to do with Brett Brown. Uh, I, I want to see a little bit more creativity from him with this funky mix that he has. I mean, there's been too many occasions this season where Al Horford is just floating around the elbow or the baseline when he needs to be spotting up from three, a team that uh, granted Horford's taking five threes per game, a career high for him, a high for the Sixers, uh, <laughs> which says a lot. They, they need Horford to always be spacing the floor. Cause this is a team that lacks spacing. 
And you're shorting yourself if you have him sometimes on the baseline or at the elbow when already Ben Simmons is hanging around there because he's too scared to stand in the corner. And you, you know, then Joel Embiid is a, is a shooting the ball very well at 38% right so far this season, but he's not necessarily considered a potent threat by defenses. So I don't think they're maximizing the spacing that they do have partially because players aren't shooting. They're either scared to go behind the line like Ben Simmons or they're, they're just not being coached to be behind there like Horford all the time. You and I spoke on Tuesday, um, and I believe, I, I think on the uh, probably first to, to speak on it uh, a lot on a national level, and then it became a massive topic over the course of the last 48 to 72 hours, and that is Andrew Wiggins. And we brought it up on Tuesday. And one of the things you said was, we have been fooled by this before, but there are a lot of extremely positive signs. And we have seen people say that over and over. Well, since then, since even Tuesday, um, when we spoke about it, it has continued. We were coming on on Monday. Well, then he turned around uh, on Wednesday against San Antonio and in a 15-point win, uh, shoots 52% from the field, 57% from three, and has 30 points, eight rebounds, and seven assists. At what point is it no longer a mirage? <laughs> uh, this guy is like one of the best players in the league right now, Kevin. Yeah, he seriously uh, I, I, is. I, yeah, well, <laughs> it's still only 11 games. Okay. Um, but like we've seen hot stretches from Wiggins in the past. Not like this. It, I know not like this. You're right. And that and that's what you and I touched on. There's positive indicators here, especially the passing. The passing's the big one. He's making better, smarter, quicker decisions on the floor. And partially, I think that's from him actually developing this. That's something that I would need to look into further and in talking to people around him. But it seems like it's something that he's focused on improving this summer. But also, though, it's kind of a, a, a reflection of the symptom here. The system here, Ryan Saunders is playing five out or four out offenses nearly all the time. And that's making for easier decisions for Wiggins and other players on that team with the spacing that they have. So with Wiggins, man, like I, I buy that he's better for sure because of the playmaking. That's real. That is real that we're seeing right now from him. Whether the scoring efficiency stays the way it is, I don't know. Like we'll find out, but he, I'm encouraged. He, wouldn't he flip everything on its head? I mean, we have talked in the past about sometimes guys have a different timeline and it might be four years into their career before they really get or it six. and turn into the player. Or this six. Is six. I know Wiggins. this, this is six. I was trying and, to and think by, if there's somebody, the way, he's only 24. He's not yeah, like was, 28 right now. He's 24. I was trying to think of if there was somebody that is, that was like six, like kind of six years into their career. Cause it is rare that somebody would turn into a all-star caliber player at that time. What year was it with the year? You look up Lowry. The one that popped in my head was, was Billups. Cause Billups, you know, I think through, yeah, I'm going all the way through here. You're talking about, I mean, he was already on a couple of different teams. He went from Boston to Toronto to Denver to Minnesota. He landed in Detroit when he was 26 years old. 26 years old for Chauncey Billups and was coming off a year where he only started 54 games out of the 82 for Minnesota. 
and shot 42% from the field and averaged like, you know, less than 13 points a game. For, for what it's worth, Lowry's first really, really good season was year eight. And his first okay. time becoming an all-star was year nine at age 27 and 28, respectively. A little, a little different because, yep. you know, Lowry was a late first round pick. You know, Billups and Wiggins were both high first round draft picks. So they're coming, coming in with different expectations. But, I, I, you know, I Billups is a Billups I, is a good one, though, because it's about yeah, the same yeah. kind of it was. I mean, I guess what by the time Billups did not become a big time guy that people paid attention to until his time in Detroit, where he clearly found uh, a great fit for him. But by the time he went to Detroit, he was. Yeah, he was 26 years old, 26. Yep. Wow. Yeah. And look, I mean, development is not linear. And I think with Andrew Wiggins, it's the type of thing where, <laughs> I mean, I've bashed him plenty. He, I he, know. he was a guy who didn't play a look at defense, a guy who didn't know passing was an option. His passing button did not work. Uh, he doesn't rebound the way he should for a guy with his athleticism. And he took a lot of dumb shots and he didn't shoot them well either. But he put up raw numbers, and I think the talent was always there, which made it so frustrating. Because you know, you look at Wiggins as a player from his time at Kansas, from his tie when he, when his time in high school, when he was putting up these amazing, amazing high school highlight reels compared to to like the next Jordan and all that. And he's not that player, and he proved that pretty quickly that he's not that player. But he's always shown flashes, which made it so frustrating when areas of his game that seemed improvable were not improving. And maybe this is the year things are starting to click. And I hope they are because it would be, it would make for a really great story after the five year first five years in the league, when he has not been good, signed the big contract and suddenly looked like an albatross from Minnesota, a detriment to Carl Anthony towns, their superstar center. But right now, you know, it's only 11 games. But he sure as hell looks like a perfect compliment to Cat. And I hope it's real. I'm rooting for it to be real. But I what do want to see more. What a story that would be. What a be story. Awesome. I mean, so if he awesome. if this is if this is real, because I mean he's averaging 26 points a game, uh, which that the points per game is not the huge deal. Five rebounds, almost four assists, and you look at what he's done over the last five and ten games. And playing um, harder, playing harder on defense, too. Uh, you well, know, it's, it's and maybe it's that he's 24. Maybe it, like you say, development's not linear. Or maybe he was super pissed off by not being put in that top 100. You remember that story when he said, there's not 100 players in the NBA better than me? <laughs> when people came out with their preseason list of the top 100 players. And he like he took that personal. He's like, oh, come on. There's not 100 better players than me. <laughs> and maybe he's out to prove. I mean, hell, he's been playing like a top 20 player so far this year. Maybe maybe they really get, got him mad uh, with that list. So Some, sometimes that's what it takes, man. I mean, you like, never know, right? Like, it, it, is, it, this is where I'm at. The people are shitting on me so bad that they don't think I'm one of the hundred best guys in the league. Like, are you kidding me? There's only right. There's there's only 30 teams. So how am I not in the top 100? The 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 thing is sustaining it, you know, with, with Wiggins right now, he's putting in more effort. Uh, you know, he's focusing more off ball, you know, going for some blocks and deflections off ball on ball. He's been pretty, pretty OK. And, and, and it's nice to see that progress from him in terms of effort and focus. Now it's about sustaining that 
over the course of the full season. It's about sustaining his newly learned habits of sometimes resisting those early clock mid-range jumpers and taking the smarter shot or making the smarter pass. Now it's about sustaining this. We're, We're seeing what he can do. He's seeing what he can do. And now it's about building forward and making this, you know, newly learned habit into something that comes naturally to him over the course of a a long, long season when fatigue builds, when maybe you lose some games and you start getting frustrated. That's what needs to happen next for Wiggins to show to us that this is real and to prove to to himself that this is real too and to the coaching staff to continue empowering him. But the first 11 games are encouraging. But next step is just making sure and verifying this is real to everybody watching, including himself. Last week, we had the Kemba Walker return to Charlotte, which got emotional. Last night, we had the Chris Tapps Porzingis return to New York, which got emotional. Um, I will be on the game that is on national television tonight. Uh, it's an ESPN game where Mike Conley and the Utah Jazz, he is back in Memphis. Um for the first time and he will get the massive heroes welcome and he'll have the, you know, they'll run the video tribute to him and, and whatever else. But uh, for people that like, like good moments where a player gets to come back to a city and people go absolutely crazy and cheer on that player, like that will be the case when it comes to Conley. And it's a different situation, you know, for people out there that have, uh, that will see this tonight, you know, now, because of John ja Morant and what John ja Morant did um, the other night with the game winner and everybody's so excited, it's one of those where it's like everybody's happy for Mike Conley and hopes he goes and, you know, is there in the Western Finals and maybe can win a title because, you know, your own fan base is thrilled about the future that it's got and with its guy. And so sometimes when a player comes back, you you end up, getting a down fan base, like, God, I wish I still had that guy or I loved rooting for that guy and things aren't any good now. Um, This should actually be the perfect mix tonight because you've got a fan base that's already thrilled with what's going on with them and their point guard that they've got. And then their hero comes back. And it's hard for me to express to everybody out there how much Memphis loves Mike Conley. I mean, he is a favorite son, the same way that a superstar can come back the same way. Tony Parker went and got his Jersey retired the other night in San Antonio. He is that to the city. And so he will get an ovation like you have never heard before. And it's on, it's a big game tonight on national television. People are going to watch that to see Morant anyway, right? Like he's now become a TV draw. It's a good point guard matchup. Conley versus Morant. And hopefully for Conley, you know, he's had some, pretty poor scoring game so far this season. He's been a bit better as of late during Utah's four game winning streak. Hopefully for the jazz that continues into tonight. Um, but that that's absolutely going to be an emotional game. And I'm, I'm, I'm jealous. You'll be there, Chris. It'll be fun. Yeah. Uh, and then that, I think what is the, what is the late game that is on tonight? The, the other national TV game tonight, because I'm going to pay attention to, uh, I'm going to try to keep my eye on that Pacers game that we mentioned. The Pacers won against Houston. Um, but I oh, think t- they're... T- tonight we got Boston Golden State. I oh, mean, God. Yeah, Good I know. Oh, oh, yeah, exactly. What a, 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 here, <laughs> yeah. Try to get try to guess the line on that game. Um, Boston minus 12 and a half. Oh, we're getting line value on the Kevin O'Connor line. It's eight. Eight. 
Interesting. It should be thirty. Should be thirty. Maybe should uh, maybe should place a bet on that. That's a pretty good line. You want to bet? On, <laughs> you want to bet on the Celtics? Yeah, that, that's a good line right there. Any other good ones tonight? Uh the only other ones that are tight lines are eh, that Rockets Pacers is five and a half. Magic Spurs. That's a three point line. I mean, look, the ones to pay attention to are. That that Rockets Pacers game's a good one. The Grizzlies and Jazz is going to be on national TV, and then Lakers Kings is the late game. But I'd expect the Lakers to maul them, even though the Kings have one two in a row. Shout out to them, Kevin. Have an unbelievable weekend, and I will talk to you on Tuesday. You as well, Chris. Have a good weekend, everybody. It's going to do it for another edition of the Ringer NBA Show. Thanks for listening. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes. Five stars, five stars. It really helps, and we will talk to you on Tuesday. 